Good morning. All right. We are in Matthew chapter 7. So you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7, because that's what we're going to be talking about. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, But before we start anything, let's just read it together. Matthew chapter 7 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And always move from scripture to prayer. It's kind of, kind of what I do, and especially since this is talking about prayer, it makes sense, right? So let's just go to our Lord one more time. Father, we ask that you would just guide us. Father, open our eyes to what you would say, open our eyes to what you would show us in your word, and open our hearts and our minds to what you would say to us. Lord, we submit to your spirit again right now. And Father, we pray that you would help us to follow you faithfully. Help us to trust. Help us to look to your word and know that you are alive. You are active. You do not uh, let any bit of your word go void, as, as your word says. It's not, it's not useless. It doesn't fall to the ground and get wasted. So, Father, help us to approach it with that attitude today. Help us to be uh, convicted where needed. Lord, help us to be encouraged by your spirit. And, Lord, just excited again about the fact that you are at work among us and within our community and that you use your people to change lives. You use your people through the power of your spirit to make the dead alive again. What an amazing miracle that is. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, that passage says we need to pray more. Yes? That's what that passage says. So as we close, I just want to wrap this up real quick. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, no, no preacher in the history of preaching has ever had a 30-second sermon. That just is impossible. But that's how we approach Scripture a lot of times, isn't it? We read like a little paragraph, a little passage. We kind of get what we hope is, is the truth that is in that passage and we think, and if, if we're doing really good, we, we then say, okay, how can I apply this this week? And we move on with our day, and we leave it at that. The problem is, is that's not how the Bible works. Now it's good, don't, don't, don't hear me wrong here. It's good if you, if you got five minutes and, and you can just hit a paragraph and let that sink in for a second, that's a great thing. Like, don't, don't hear me discarding that. That's good. But that's not how the Bible works as a whole. Hi. <laughs> we have a, uh, we have an, an announcement to me. I don't know what that was, but, um, 
That's not how the Bible works as a whole. It's not a bunch of wisdom sayings grouped together with no connection. For example, our passage today does not stand alone. It is one piece in something much larger called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount because that's where Jesus was praying, on the side of a mountain. Now, don't think Everest. Think Sugarloaf, right? It's, it's not a big, big mountain. He's not a guru up in the Himalayas. He just walked up there because that's how he could kind of get separated enough that he could speak and everyone could hear him. The thing is, is that when we take little bits, bits of, of Scripture and we don't look at the whole thing, we're in danger. We're in danger of misinterpreting it and implying it in some inappropriate and potentially harmful ways. Like today's passage, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That is one of several passages That is really abused. It's really abused. Because what it does is it it just pulls that one thing out without looking at the whole context of what Jesus was saying and says, See, ask whatever you want. If you have enough faith, God's going to give it to you. And what it does is it turns God into sort of a cosmic vending machine. Punch the right numbers, have enough faith, and you'll get what you want. And that is not at all what Jesus is saying here. And it's clear... If you read it in the whole context. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to read it in the whole context of this sermon. So, what has led us to this point? Well, we began in chapter 5, right? And we've looked at this before. We see how Jesus is setting up this, this, this new understanding of what it means to be blessed. He, he's kind of he's trying to get our minds focused into a kingdom perspective, thinking in terms of eternity, not just our lives here. And if we think about that, our lives here are just a breath. It's just a vapor here today. And man, we're gone suddenly if we look at if, if we think about it in terms of eternity and see, Jesus is trying to get us to think that way. And he begins with the, with the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed, blessed are, are the pure or are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, the, those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Now, if we think of this, the way they thought of this, they're hearing this and it's a, it's a framework that they've heard many times before. It's a, it's sort of a formula that, that they heard in the Old Testament many times. This idea of blessed are those. Psalm 119 begins this way. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who, um, who, uh, bless, blah, 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 blah. blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Who seek him with their whole heart. And it keeps going. And you see what he's doing there, right? What the writer's doing, the psalmist is doing. The blessed in this case is someone that we, that that he wants us to look up to. Like that's how we are to live. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. That's an ideal that, that we are to be striving for. Who keep his testimonies. Who seek him with their whole heart. That's what what we want to be like. 
And then we come to Jesus and he's using that same formula, but he's kind of taking it in a different direction. Blessed are those who mourn. This is who we want to be like. The poor in spirit. The meek. And he's changing the way we think of kingdom blessings. He's not saying anything that wasn't the case before. This is exactly what the, what the psalmist was writing about in the Old Testament. He's just saying it in a way that's driving home the point. The blessing isn't in being happy. The blessing isn't in being rich. The blessing isn't in this earth. The blessing is that in these circumstances, we meet God. He is there. That he loves us. Because those who are poor in spirit inherit the kingdom of God. This earth isn't giving them what we were made for. The kingdom of God is giving, is, will give them what they were made for. We will all face grief and struggle. We will all mourn. But they will be comforted. So he's shifting this, this notion of, you know, that, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the time had of this earthly blessing, that that's what it looks like. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Think eternally. Think about the kingdom. Kingdom blessing is about God's love for us and our trust in him in every circumstances, in every circumstance. And then, there, then he moves on to kingdom righteousness. And again, he's, it's a comparison with the Pharisees. You've heard it said, and then, he lit, then we went through several things. You shall not murder, and everyone who murders will be liable to judgment. But I say, earthly righteousness, kingdom righteousness. But I say, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. He takes it to a heart issue. He takes it to this, this place of, of love. Because this is the passage that I, I spoke about last time I spoke. When, when we're just dealing with the earthly side of things, we find loopholes to get around it. Ways to keep the law, but in our heart break the law. But when we deal with love, there's no loophole for that. We love You can't find a loophole and continue to love. And so he took us from this earthly, brittle, weak notion of righteousness to kingdom righteousness. And then he moves into rewards, kingdom rewards. See, he turns that upside down as well because he moves us from earthly rewards, which feed our ego. It feeds our pride. Don't, don't, uh, what did he say? He said, don't, uh, don't, don't give to the needy like the hypocrites do sounding a trumpet. Don't sound no trumpet before you for they do it so that they would receive praise from others. Don't pray like the hypocrites because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by other people, right? Feeds our ego. 
feel good. Pat on the back. I did the right thing. I'm doing good stuff. See, I'm praying. Look at me. Jesus says, don't be like that. When you give, give in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward, will reward you. When you fast, don't look all gloomy, all sad-faced. Do it in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. You see, a kingdom mindset doesn't look at people or circumstances. It wants only to please the Father. And the rest comes out of that. And then he moves into kingdom priority. So we've seen kingdom blessings. We've seen kingdom righteousness. We've seen kingdom reward. And then he moves into kingdom priority. Jesus flips our natural understanding of what matters most, right? The things of this life, what we will eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. Those things, those are necessary. Those are the essentials, right? Food, shelter, clothing. And he says, don't be anxious about those things. Seek first priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It says the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your father who is in heaven knows that you need them all. That's a different way of thinking about life, isn't it? To have that perspective in every aspect of our life. God knows what we need. He knows So, if we trust him that he will provide as he has promised he would, then we are free. We are free to seek his kingdom first, his righteousness first. We are free to pursue that and trust him to take care of the rest. Kingdom priority. See, a kingdom mindset changes the way we think about everything. Especially how we treat one another. Especially how we approach God. It changes that. A kingdom mindset means trusting God in every aspect of our life. When we begin to trust God in this way, then prayer becomes something, not just what we do, it becomes how we live. It, beca- it moves from being sort of like the punctuation in the sentence, like... You capitalize the first letter, we open in prayer, you write the sentence, you go about your life for a while, and then, and then at an appropriate point, you put a period, you close it in prayer. And that's kind of how we approach it. When the reality is, is the way we should be approaching it is that's the paper. Everything else in our life gets written on that. The prayer is the foundation of everything. Why? Because God is the foundation of everything, and he is the one who provides everything we need. He is the one who who lays the opportunities in front of us. He's the one who calls us into ministry, whatever that looks like, not necessarily professional, just in your everyday life, the people around you who God has called you to love with his kind of love and to serve with his kind of service. And all of that is rooted and grounded in prayer. So let's look at our text again. With the kingdom mindset, the, the, the kingdom mindset Jesus has been establishing throughout this whole sermon. 
And we'll begin, at the, we'll begin with the first phrase. Ask and it will be given to you. Now, we miss a lot of opportunities because we don't ask. Life works this way. It works itself out like this in regular life. How many times have you heard or have you felt, you know, you can be on either side of this, where, where it's like, man, I'd really like to hang out with this person, or I'd really like to get to know them better, or, man, I feel like I need to talk to them about something, and you kind of sit and wait. You wait for them to reach out to you. You wait for them to call. You wait for them to make the first move. I've felt it personally, and I've seen it play out. And when it plays out, it doesn't play out well. Because usually what happens is the person waiting on that then begins to feel hurt. They begin to feel neglected or ignored. And it's like, do they even care about me at all? I'm sitting here waiting for them. They should know to call me. If they cared about me, they would call. And the question I always want to ask myself and whoever else is feeling like this is, you have a phone, right? Does your phone work? Just pick it up and call. Why are you waiting for someone else to do the work? And I mean it. Why do we wait for other people to do the work and then blame them for not reading your mind and knowing that you wanted to talk to them? It happens all the time. And it happens spiritually. Jesus is saying here, just ask. Ask me. Ask and it will be given to you. I am here. I hear you. I love you. I will answer. So what do we ask for? Well, Jesus is adamant that God answers prayer. But not only that, just a little while earlier, he taught us how to pray. What should we ask for? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, there's something. We ask, Lord, help me to see you as holy. Help me to see you as God. And not just my magic genie in a lamp waiting to grant me three wishes. Help me to treat you as the consuming fire your word says you are. Because that is who our God is. Jesus is love, yes. But Jesus is just. And Jesus will judge the world in the end. That is coming. Hallowed be your name. God is not something to be trifled with. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that God's will would be seen and lived in our lives and the lives around us. We pray that, that his desires would be our desires. And that, and that he would use us to encourage people and draw them into that, that relationship with him as well so that their desires become his desires. You see what I'm saying? That his will would be done right here, the way it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
We pray for our needs, our daily needs, our, the things. He didn't say, don't be anxious about your daily needs, therefore never ask. He said, don't be anxious for them because your God knows you need them. Even before you ask. So ask. And yeah, yeah, I know there's that argument. Well, if he knows everything, then what's the need to ask? If he's in control of everything, then he should, he'll just take care of it. He's called us to ask. That's why we ask. He said this is a relationship. Therefore, pray. And I don't understand it. It's a mystery. But we see God do different things as a result of people's prayers. He was going to judge Nineveh. He sent Jonah. They repented. And he didn't judge Nineveh. He was going to destroy the Israelites. Moses prayed, and he didn't destroy the Israelites. These things are mysteries. I don't understand how it all works. And it's okay to not understand how it all works. But I do know what's very clear. He says, I am sovereign, and I want you to pray. So do it. If he wasn't sovereign, then what would be the point of praying? He couldn't answer your prayers. He couldn't guarantee he could. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. We pray for forgiveness because we offend God. We all do. Yeah, we put our trust in Jesus, hopefully. And we've been forgiven for all of our sins and we were made righteous before him. We're justified. But we're in the process of being sanctified, and and in that process, we're still struggling with sin. And therefore, we will sin. We will hurt people. We will offend God. And And it inhibits our relationship to some degree, so we pray and we ask God to forgive. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we do that with one another which I think is a really important part of this prayer. We offer that to other people because God has offered it to us. See, that's the pattern. God shows grace to us more than we ever could imagine or deserve. Therefore, we're free to show grace to others. God shows us mercy. Therefore, we show others mercy. God loves us. Therefore, we love people. We love because God first loved us, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It says, in every temptation, God will not give you more than you can handle, but will provide a way of escape. It's not that God doesn't give you situations that are more than you can handle. He gives us situations that are more than we can handle all the time. That's why we have to pray. And trust him. But he says he won't tempt us more than we can handle. He said he will always give us a way out of it. And we pray for that. Lord, help us to see it. Help us to be strong and to take the way out and not give in. Lord, deliver us from evil. And one day, he will do that perfectly. Completely delivered from evil. No more sin. 
No more tears. No more suffering. Praying with this kind of perspective also keeps us from praying selfishly. Chapter 6, we saw how the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, were praying with wrong motives. They were praying selfishly. They were praying so that they could get a pat on the back from other people. But when we have this mindset, it guards us against that. Praying like this makes sure that we don't view God as our personal genie in a bottle. We can manipulate for our gain, our personal gain. But Jesus didn't stop there. He told us, seek. Seek, and you will find. This is not a half-hearted effort. We all know what real seeking looks like. When you are five minutes late, and you have to leave the house, and you can't find your keys, you know what seeking looks like, don't you? You are tearing that house apart trying to find those keys. And you don't want to hear anybody say anything other than, here they are. We've all been there. For the parents in here, let's go for the jugular on this. We really know what it means to seek. Because who of us has not been in a crowd, at an amusement park, in a store, at the beach, at the fair... And look down and realize that our kid wasn't where we thought our kid was. Seeking takes on a whole new meaning in that moment, doesn't it? You will turn earth upside down to find your child. We seek in this way. This is what God is talking about. This is what Jesus is talking about. That wasn't a slip of the tongue. That's accurate. This is what Jesus is talking about. Seek the things that we want most. And what are those? Matthew chapter 6. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Seek first. Pursue first. Make this your goal. Turn the house, turn the world upside down. For God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then in, in chapter 5. Wait a minute. Nope, I'm jumping ahead. We'll get back to that. We'll come back to Matthew chapter 5. Oh, no, no. I'm in the right place. Man, I hate it when that happens. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Do you hunger for righteousness? Do you thirst for righteousness like someone dehydrated and dying just looking for that? You, you know, the movie, you know, they've been wandering through the desert and they hold up their water bottle and they're just squeezing it and one little, one little drop drips out. Is that how we think of righteousness? Understand, this isn't a legalistic thing. This is the gift of God. When he makes us more and more like him, this is how we begin to think more and more like him. But this is the goal. This is is what we want. 
So we ask according to kingdom values. We seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness, meaning we pursue it relentlessly. And we knock. We knock boldly expecting to be heard by God. Knock and it will be open to you. We are ready to wake up the neighbors. In Luke, in Luke chapter 11, he, he tells the story of, of, of someone who gets a surprise visit at midnight. And he needs bread because as a host, especially in that, in, in that context, in that culture, like if someone, if you were going to be a decent human being at all, you had, you showed hospitality to people. You fed them when they came to your house, when they needed a place to stay. You invited them in. You fed them. You took care of them. But this guy had no bread. He had no food to give him. So what does he do? He goes to the neighbor's house and knocks. And understand that a house was a one-room affair. The whole family would be asleep in that one room. So if you're knocking on that door, you're waking up the whole house. It's bold. It's a bold move. And we all know also what that's like. Because I'll tell you what, just dropping in on people, knocking on their door, that is not really done anymore, is it? You have to text first. You got to at least text them first and let them know you're coming, if not call. Right? That would be a very awkward, that would be a very bold thing to just drop in on someone these days. Used to be the case. Like we used, you know, that used to happen back in the good old days or whatever, however you want to refer to those days. You know, you just drop in and people be like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Come on in. Get out the special little coffee cake that you save for company and, you know, and do the whole bit. Visit. You just visit. We're just stopping by to visit. That's a kind of a southern thing, but not now. It's bold to just go up and knock on someone's door. Jesus is saying, pursue me like that. I want you to knock on my door. Be bold. Hebrews chapter 4, we read it today. But in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, this is actually exactly why I came. So that you can enter my presence boldly so that you can approach the throne of grace let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need please be bold he is our great high priest meaning He has experienced all that we've experienced. He knows the struggles you're going through. He knows the pain of grief. We don't know when Joseph died. But he experienced loss. Jesus lost his dad. Humanly speaking, he lost his dad. Jesus was rejected. He had a bunch of people telling him he was the greatest thing on earth which they were right, he, he was and is the greatest thing that's ever walked the face of the earth. And then as soon as the teaching got hard, they abandoned him. And he looked to, to his little core group and he said, are you going to? Can you imagine how he felt in that moment? I think we can. And it must have felt good in that moment when they said, Where would we go? You have the words of life. 
He says, be bold. And then he shifts it. For everyone who asks will receive. To the one who seeks, it will be given. Or, yeah, to the one who seeks, they will find. And to the one who knocks, it will be given. Did you hear that? He kind of shifted the focus from the act of ask, seek, find to everyone who asks. This is not just for the spiritual professionals. This is for everyone. The Pharisees and scribes tried to to keep this all reserved to them. They thought they were the ones who could do this. They thought they were the only ones qualified to do this. But Jesus said, no, no, no. The poor in spirit, the broken, the grieving, the humble, the meek, anyone who will trust Jesus, anyone, if you will trust him, this is for you. This is for us. That's the crux of it. We ask in faith, trusting that God's grace is real, that he has truly forgiven us, he's made us new, he's adopted us by his grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone, that we are his family. And the same rules apply to everyone. No one's left out. The invitation is open to anyone who would come. But we can't miss the reason for our confidence. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, right? Flip back to that. Which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? This is the kind of thing where it's like, you know, I'm no saint, but even I know that's wrong. Even I know that's wrong. Like, we can all appreciate that. A kid is hungry, and you're going to act like you're giving him bread and trick him, the, trick him into thinking this rock is a piece of bread? Or you're going to give him something that could potentially actually harm them? To a kid. To your own son, your own daughter, for that matter. Like, that just, like, inside all of us, we're just like, that would be, you can't imagine... That's low, right? That is just low. And Jesus says, if you being evil, and understand, he's not talking evil in terms of like, you know, serial killer, horror movie kind of evil. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you compared to God, his holiness, you are evil. I'm evil. We're all evil compared to the holiness of God, compared to his character, his nature. Yes, we are evil. We are his enemies without him. And until he has done the work to reconcile us, until we put our faith in him, we are his enemies. He says, if you being evil, being flawed, being broken, being corrupted in this way, if you even know that that's wrong, you know how to give good gifts. How much more will our perfect holy, heavenly Father in heaven, give good things to those who ask. That's, our, that's where our confidence is. Our confidence is in the character and nature of God. That's our confidence. It's not about our effort and our prayers. 
It's not about how good you are, how well you prayed, or or how much faith you're able to muster up. You know, that's kind of the misconception that a lot of people have. If I can just if I can just really believe it before I ask it. No, no, no. It's not that. It's Lord, you are good, and I'm going to trust you, and I know that you have promised that you will give good things. And therefore, if you answer no, that was the right thing. I trust that. If you answer yes, amen, thank you, Lord, praise your name for that answered prayer. But we all will pray prayers that God will say no to, and we all will pray prayers that God will say yes to, and he is good across the board no matter how he answers it. That is where our confidence lies. So I want to wrap this up with this. A week or so ago, someone reminded me of George Mueller. George Mueller is an incredible example of someone who prayed diligently, someone who was ready to ask, seek, and knock just boldly. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with George Mueller, George Mueller lived in the 1800s, doing most of his work in the 1850s, 1870s, somewhere around that time frame. He established five orphanages, costing over 100,000 pounds at the time, which if you look at that today, that's roughly $16 million U.S., right? That's a lot of money. So he established five orphanages that cost that much, never went into debt, and never asked one person for financial support. Never did it. Didn't ask anybody for any financial support. He was convicted early on, right off the bat, that that what he was to do was simply pray and trust God to provide. In doing that, he saw again and again people just provide what, what he needed. And there's all kinds of like really inspiring, cool stories about how God provided. It's amazing. It's an incredible story. I recommend everybody kind of read it and, and see it. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. It has the potential of making us feel bad about our prayer. It has the potential of creating a false standard that we think that if we pray with enough faith or pray the right way or do it like George Mueller did it, that we will see the same results. And that's not how it, that's not how it works. That's a wrong perception of what we need to take away from the story of George Mueller. You see, George Mueller is not this, the hero of that story. It wasn't about how he prayed or his conviction or whatever. It was about God. The hero of that story is God. And the hero of your story and the hero of my story is God. We trust Him. We look for Him to work. And we just take that each step. It's like, okay, Lord, I don't know where this is going. But I'm going to trust you. Okay, God. This is, is incredibly painful. But I will trust you. God, I have no idea what you have planned for me next year. You know, seniors in high school, I have no idea what you have planned for me next year with college or what I'm going to do. But I'm going to trust you. I have no idea what you have planned for me regarding a spouse in the future. You never promised it. But I'm going to trust you. And the way you answer this prayer, however you answer it, You are good. I have no idea what you're going to do with my sick spouse or my sick child, my sick parent. But I'm going to trust you.
Our stories are unique to us. But God's the hero of them all. And he will work according to his will in each of them. Your story's not my story. And so the way God works in your story is going to look different than the way he works in my story. This is why it's not helpful to, to kind of hold other people's lives up and say, oh man, they must really have it together. See how God's working in their life? I must be doing something wrong. No. God's the hero of your story. Not that person over there. Pick up the phone. Ask. Seek. Knock. Trust that he will give good gifts to those who ask. Because that is the God we serve. Let's bow our heads and prepare for to pray. And as we're thinking about this and... The fact of the matter is, is that he is an amazing father. The perfect father. Perfect in every way. No one loves you the way God loves you. But the truth is, is that to become part of the family, we must be adopted into the family. Forgiven and made new. And that only happens when we put our faith in Jesus. So if you haven't done that, I invite you to do that today. Recognizing that the same thing that we all have to recognize, that, man, we are just on our own. It's not a good scene. We are sinful. But God forgives. And he, calls, he, he invites us, he calls us into a relationship with him. So we turn from that, that life to a new life made new in him. Father, thank you for the miracle of, of salvation. Thank you for the miracle that you work in our lives every day to make us more like your son. Give us the desire to grow in that. Teach us from your word Instruct us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've given us the Spirit that dwells in us to instruct us, to comfort us, to counsel us. And Lord, we pray that your will would be done right here, Durwood Bible Church, Durwood, Gaithersburg, Germantown, Rockville, Montgomery County. Lord, that your will would be done and that we would magnify your name wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen.